Welcome to True Baloney. This is George, that's Peter, and uh, we're coming to you without theme music today because we have all sorts of wires set up, and we even have a video feed that you are not going to get to see, but we can see it, and there's a guy in a hotel room in Winnipeg, <laughs> and that's in Canada, and, and we're going to be talking to him. His name is Jim, and um, I have no idea what we're going to talk about, which makes this really exciting. And uh, Me too, because I'm... Uh, I'm- pride myself on being woefully unprepared for these podcasts and I have not let us down today. Uh, but I've known Jim for Jim for a long time. We, we grew up in the same uh, town in the middle of nowhere. Would mm-hmm. you say, would you qualify our, our hometown as nowhere? What I say is that if you stuck the United States on a record player, we would be where the spindle goes. <laughs> nice. And by the way, um, Peter asked me to say this, and I he asked me to say this like 30 seconds before he turned on the recorder, and I already forgot that. Um, <laughs> but I'm going to tell you right now that uh, we may have some technical issues, and things may go in and out, and we're just going to roll with it, and you're going to enjoy it. And the other thing is that there may be some salty language. We don't know. We'd have no idea what's coming. Right. I, but prepare yourselves. <laughs> I'm prepared for the full gym experience, and that could involve, yeah, anyway. So so I've known Jim for a long time. Jim, why don't you tell us about your, just a little bit about yourself and what you do? Okay. Well, um, so uh, a long time ago, uh, I grew up on the the windy uh, plains of Grand Island, Nebraska, uh, with 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 Pete here, and um, Pete. It was there that I kind of got prepared for what I ended up doing in the future uh, by being an angry punk rocker. So I was okay. one of the very few angry punk rockers in the middle of of Nebraska. And in doing so, I had to learn how to do a lot of things like make records and get people in other countries to write articles about us and stuff. And now, many years later, uh, I travel around the world and I teach companies and people basically how to innovate and enjoy their lives and how to make their work suck less. (laughs) And uh, a lot of people, like I'm learning almost all of them, Um, might care about their jobs, but don't necessarily like them and don't necessarily go home with a good attitude. And, uh, and that's a kind of the short form of what I do. Well, Uh, it sounds like you're, I thought you were like a management consultant, but you're more like a therapist. Oh, way more like a therapist. (laughs) (laughs) And so you're, so yeah, I'm like corporate or agency therapist. So we go in and people think we're going to help them with their processes. But what we actually teach them is your process is how you interact with each other. And you can make process to force you to interact in certain ways, but then you have to be prepared for the consequences of that. And so we end up with years of layered process because of bad interactions between human beings and not necessarily because it's a better way to get your work done. Okay. And now, for that, that was example one for our technical listeners of the technical difference. You sounded like a cyborg there. I'm wondering awesome. if I turn off the video, yeah. if I'll have better audio. So I'm going to... Well, I'll try that. Okay, I'm going to see what happens. Okay, but you're still All there. Right. You're He's, still there, yeah, right? Yeah, you're still I'm here. still here. Okay, so we'll see if that improves things or not. But okay, right. so Okay, so you've been all over the world. I mean, every time I yes. check, I check in with you on Facebook. You are somewhere else, some exotic locale, 
Vietnam, Paris, you know, whatever, wherever you're, you're someplace yes. different. So you've probably spent a lot of time in airport lounges. Oh yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, and so I'm, I'm figuring that as you sort of why I asked you to come on, cause I thought as you traveled the world, um, seen every airport in, in on earth and also, you know, talk to people in countries all over the world about their sucky jobs that you would have uh-huh. some great stories to tell about your experiences. So mm-hmm. do you, do, in, in fact, <laughs> do you probably. have some? <laughs> uh, no. Okay. It's well, then that that's it for episode nine of <laughs> True Baloney, everybody. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks for listening. Uh, no, but so mm. for, no, but for reals, though. Yeah. So there, I mean, the thing is, is that, one of the things that, so human beings are, uh, I tell people in my classes that human beings are real, only really skilled at doing two things. We fuck things up and we die. Th- those are the only two things we do right. Okay. And um, that is, uh, that has proven true whether it's traveling or whether it's dealing with people in the workplace. And we set up amazing systems to make people's lives miserable. And so... I don't know. That would be probably where most but of it is pretty, funny pretty miraculous that you can get from, you know, wherever Grand Island, Nebraska to, you know, Taipei or whatever you want to go. I mean, just that, mm-hmm. you know, that's a miraculous thing. But then that we can make it so soul crushingly awful, too, is sort of <laughs> another skill, I think. Uh, Am I making well, sense? Yeah. So, I mean, well, this is this is one of the things. Uh, I mean, there's the good side and the bad side of that. So, for one group of people that people like to malign are customs agents, and I've done a few projects. Uh, actually, this is before 9/11, but I did a few co- projects with what was then U.S. Customs and Immigration, and um, uh, it didn't take too long to figure out two things. One is that the people who worked there felt completely helpless because they had two mandates. One was that the U.S. was a melting pot. And we loved everyone, and we wanted them to all to come and make this a better country. Right. And the other was that all people from other countries are foreign terrorists who are going to steal our jobs and attack our women and, uh, you know, crash their cars into our restaurants. And we need to keep them out. And so people at Customs have to satisfy simultaneously both of those mandates. And um, uh, I got to experience that firsthand uh, my business partner doesn't like me saying this, but, but this is kind of what happened. So when I met my wife, she was living in Vancouver, British Columbia, which is another country, even though it doesn't seem like it. The one you're there. in right now. Um, <laughs> well, yeah. And, um, uh, she, and like most people from, Hon- from uh, Vancouver, she's from Hong Kong. And <laughs> so when we got married, I had to import her. And... <laughs> So we have to go and line up at the consulate in Vancouver to get paperwork. And there's lots of paperwork that you need. And so the first thing that happens is like there's this high-rise building and there's this door. And then there's this long line of hapless Canadians who don't want to be Canadians anymore and want to come into the U.S. All stretching out into the rain. (laughs) And... So I don't want to wait in that line. So I go to the front of the line and I say, hey, uh, I just need some paperwork. Can I – is there a way I can cut in the front of this line? And hey, and I'm an American said, no. too, by the way. <laughs> well, so, so she said no. And, I, and then I said, well, it's a really long line. And she looks at me and says, are you from the States? 
Because only someone from the States would, <laughs> would do that. Right? Canadian would, would always say, oh, a lineup. Well, I, I got to stand in it. And so they would just go stand in it. But somebody from the States is like, I don't want to stand in that thing. So, uh, that so I said, yeah, I'm yeah, from the States. Totally. And she says, okay, well, you guys go around the corner and you'll see that there's a side door that's unmarked. And you go up this elevator to this floor and somebody will help you. It's like Universal and Studios, so, George. Exactly. George is leaving for Universal Studios on Thursday. And uh, it's exactly like that. You get the secret pass and you go up the back passageway. And that's ex- exactly yeah. what happens. <laughs> you pay extra for yeah. it. You, but yes. Anyway, sorry. Yeah. Back this back back hallway. Well, <laughs> well so yeah, since I, since I personally knew the president, I was able to, uh, <laughs> to, to, to get around the corner. And... Um, so I uh, go up the elevator and I uh, walk up and I say to the woman, you know, hey, we'd like a K-1 fiancé visa. And the woman says, okay. And I said, can we have the paperwork for that? And she says, yes. And then I said, okay, is there other paperwork that would help um, get this through the process? And she says, yes. And she hands me that paperwork. And I said, this is great. I said, is there other paperwork that you haven't given me that would help us interface with other agencies that would do this? And she says, yes. And she gives that to me. And meanwhile, my, my wife is, or my, my then fiance, my wife is like looking more and more shocked that I'm like asking these questions. And then my, my next question was, do you? And she just starts laughing and she says, here's the rest of the paperwork. <laughs> <laughs> and, and the reason is because since they had those conflicting mandates, they were doing like what unions will call work to rule. Which is they'll only give you exactly what you what ask, you ask for. for. Hmm. Yeah. And it's not because they're bad people. It's because if they do go the extra step, they will get in trouble for it. Wow. And so those are like the systems that I'm fighting against all the time is um, going places and they say, these are all of our processes that we have set up. And I'm like, great. Which ones of those can we put a bolt through the head of immediately? Uh, which of these things that upset you on a daily basis can we kill as quickly as possible? Can, can we kill email? Um, I, I've been trying. <laughs> <laughs> it's a it's such a time suck. It is. I, I it, huge, huge. Well, I, we we have a big argument here uh, uh, over who can send emails to the mass community, and uh, some people can and some people can't. And uh, some people who can't think, well, why can those people right. send the emails and I can't? And if I don't send the email, then I'm not going to be able to tell everybody the thing I need. Right. And and my and thought why is, is their volleyball game more important than my bake sale? Right. Or my class. Or, or, and, yeah, exactly. And what, <laughs> my thing is 22 years ago, we didn't have email here. Mm-hmm. We didn't have email at any campus. And so how did we get the word out then? Let's just do that. And then mm-hmm. people are saying, oh, we have to do sandwich boards or put up flyers. And it's, yeah, that's what we did. You know, I knew about the Three Doors Down concert over in the gymnasium because somebody put up a flyer in 1993. And so, mm-hmm. you know, but hey, email. Hey, email. And so then yeah. we get 90 emails. More. What I find about email is that um, I everybody hates it, but the moment you try and take it away, people completely freak out. That's you're exactly right. Mm-hmm. You're exactly because that's what we're going through right now. A lot of us had our email privileges taken away from us as far as like our ability to mass communicate, and we're freaking out about it. 
And I was certainly first in line about complaining about the number of emails in my email box. So, <laughs> yeah. So you you careful what you wish for. Six at one. Yeah. So I'm curious. I enjoyed. So what was the name of the? I didn't realize there's a fiance visa. That cracks me up. Yeah, K one visa. K one. K one. Okay, I thought you said K one. That sounds like a an, a mountain you have to climb over in the <laughs> Himalayas. <laughs> It, well, for many people, it is. It is quite a mountain. And the only way we got through it quickly was two things. One was that um, I had done work with the agency, so I knew what they were looking for. And that my wife's, uh, that my wife's father, my, my, my father-in-law, was uh, MI5. <laughs> oh. <laughs> so th- those two things helped. Can we get him on the show, um, too? <laughs> <laughs> But there's there's a there's another there's a, the bookend to that story is that a K one visa is what they call a single entry visa. So once you get in the country, you can't leave until you get married. Okay. So um, we go through the um, process of getting all of her stuff and her moved down. This is on a Wednesday, and then on Thursday, I um, I went to work, and or no Friday, I went, Friday morning, I went to work. And she was going to sleep late and then start to unpack everything. And she wakes up and finds out that her father's in a coma in the hospital in Hong Kong. And now we have to go to Hong Kong. And so all of a sudden, we've got this single-entry visa, which won't let her leave, and we have to leave. And so there's something that they call um, compassionate parole. And so we go to Customs and Immigration in Seattle, and we say, hey, uh, we need to get compassionate parole because Vivian needs to go visit her father because of these things. And they said, okay, that's great, but when she comes back, she can't work, and you have to fill out all the paperwork that you ever filled out before again. God. And we're like, that doesn't seem very compassionate. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and so um, uh, they say, well, you know, that's, that's just the way it works, and so that's what you have to do. And my wife was going to go work at a fairly major hospital in Seattle as their uh, lead speech pathologist for their cochlear implant group. And they'd been searching for a long time for someone to have this role. And so I said to them, uh, I said, you know, if Vivian can't go to work, then lots of little deaf American kids who just got a cochlear implant aren't going to learn to talk. And they're like, oh, crap. All right. And so then they leave. And they had gone for about 20 minutes. And the guy comes out and he says, um, And there's this long pause, and he just stares at us. And it's like, can we do this? And he says, there's a way you can get what you want. Okay. Are you going to tell us what it is? And he says, no. Oh. And at at which point, uh, you know, my wife, like, never apologizes and never cries. You know, she's like this little, she's a rock, right? And at this point, it's like she just, you can hear her, like, start to, like, sob at the very least. And uh, so I said to the guy, I said, okay, so you know that thing you're going to, you're you're not telling us to do? And he says, yes. I said, we're going to do that anyway. And you know we're going to do it anyway. So can you just repeat back to us what you know we're already going to do just so that we know that you know what we're going to do? And he says, absolutely. He says, I understand that you're both very much in love and you're going to go get married today. And then you're going to take this paperwork, and he hands us a bunch of paperwork, and he says, you're going to bring this back Monday morning, and then you can fly to Hong Kong. And she'll get a green card immediately, and off you'll go, because you'll be married. And 
it was at this point three <laughs> thirty in the afternoon. <laughs> wow! So we grab the paperwork, run out, jump in the car, drive to the King County Courthouse in Seattle, which is downtown. So it's surrounded by parked cars. Somehow we got a parking lot space right outside. Went in literally two minutes before they closed their doors. Mm. Got uh, the certificate. Had one of our friends marry us in the elevator of the Space Needle on Sunday. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Signed all of the paperwork, went there Monday morning, and I'll be damned if that dude wasn't waiting outside for us. Wow. He saw us come, took us in through a back door, processed us, and we got on our plane and went to Hong Kong. Wow. And it was crazy. And so, so that's, that's a positive story about customs and immigration, if, if you want one. Sure. Well, kind of positive. I mean... It's <laughs> you had to push. It, oh yeah. <laughs> and so yeah. But I mean, sorry. Did oh, you ahead. two have any? Um, did you have any discussions? Like, well, gosh, I mean, we weren't going to get married yet, and there's the, all this stuff that's going to happen, and you know, like a wedding and a reception, and all of this stuff is happening in the future, and we're just going to scrap that right now. Were there any misgivings, or was it like, okay, that's what we're going to do? Let's go get married. We. Okay, so, so one of the things you guys know about Chinese people, especially Hongers, is that they'll get married like a hundred times. Okay. <laughs> so, so the fact that we had a big wedding planned in Vancouver for the summer actually didn't mean so much because we had also had a second wedding in Hong Kong planned. So throwing a third one into the mix in Seattle didn't really matter. Didn't really matter. Much. My major concern was that I didn't want I didn't want her to look back on her wedding day and think I had to get married because my dad was in the hospital. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, um, uh, nice gentleman named Timothy Lowry, uh, a friend of ours, is simultaneously a minister and an urban planner, and he was the chief planner for Seattle Center. So we called him up and said, hey, dude, we're going to get married on Sunday. And he's like, no way. I said, yeah. And you're going to do the ceremony. He's like, no way. I said, yeah. And, he said, and we're going to do it in the elevator of the space. And he's like, no way. And I was like, yeah. And you're going to arrange it all. So thanks. <laughs> we'll see you on Sunday. <laughs> That's right. And uh, I mean, it was it was literally that fast. But I wanted it to be kind of a silly, ludicrous first wedding because our next one was going to be all ornate and whatnot. Yeah. But I, I wanted it to be as silly as possible because of, you know, because of the reason, you know, why it was happening. Um, right. So she had then, some good yeah. associations with it. And it wasn't just. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So. Um, oh, um, are you there? Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, so it's, it's weird that Skyping is like it. Uh, we get these weird little bubbles of sound occasionally. Are you hearing us OK, though? I'm hearing you well, yes. Awesome. Okay. And plus, it's hotel Wi-Fi too, right? Yeah, I'm counting my blessings every second. <laughs> <laughs> well, so, okay, so that's, that's, that's pretty good. That's a pretty good uh, uh, example of the, uh, the kind of systems that, uh, you, that have been put in place that really aren't systems, but they're like obstacles. Yeah. Well, and that's just it. Most systems are defined by the constraints within the system. And um, are you still hearing me okay? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 I'm, I'm thinking about that. That's you I just blew us away. Yeah, I, was, I fell silent because I was sort of gobsmacked. So, so go on. <laughs> so, so a system is is basically the interactions of the things within a system. So, like if um, I say to you guys, 
I want to build the best car ever. So I go out and I grab like a, an engine from a Ferrari and a body from um, uh, from a, a BMW and a, and a, a suspension from a Land Rover. And we try and put that together and build the best car ever. We're going to get a big pile of crap. Uh, so the system, regardless of, isn't a collection of parts. It's the interactions of those parts once the, once they're collected. Okay. And and the, this is this should be relevant to you and your email dilemma. Oh, good. Uh, because because universities are famous for having lots of constraints in their systems, and what I found in both at the University of Nebraska and at Michigan State is that the system is set up to, to guide people who don't care through the system. Okay. And the moment that you care, the first thing that the system does is go into kind of shock. It's like, did you really care? And then you say yes, and then the system says, shh, come over here, there's a door around the corner. <laughs> <laughs> and, I, and I learned this first... Um, uh, um, a mutual friend of Pete's and mine, uh, um, Chad Nabity, uh, was um, about to take a class at the University of Nebraska while I was there, and I was there as a freshman. And uh, he was—he had been there a couple of years. I took a—I took a couple of years off to kind of run around the country and be an angry punk rocker, and then figured out that that wasn't—that wasn't an wasn't income growth opportunity. Imagine uh, that. So then went back to university. Um, you but, didn't stay with uh, you didn't stay with it long enough, Jim. You didn't hang in there, man. You you, you sold right. out. You <laughs> sold out. <laughs> so, um, as a freshman, uh, I uh, I was like twenty twenty one or twenty two at the time. Twenty one probably at the time, and um, but I looked really super young. And uh, Chad was about to take this class it's called Community Futures, and it was graduate level class. Uh, in the architecture and urban planning school. And I was like, I want to take that. And uh, so I went into the, to the professor, to Joe Luther, and I said, hey, I want to take your class. And he said, you can't take this class. You're, you just got here and you look like you're eight. <laughs> and like, well, I really want to take the class. And he said, well, why? And I said, well, you know, here's this, here's the senior thesis that I wrote when I was in high school about how I hated the Conestoga Mall and that I really wish that we'd re redevelop the downtown. Um, and here's these other things that I've done. And then we had this conversation about um, the role of community and the role of the built environment in people's lives. And after a while, I was like, all right, I give up. You can be in the class. Um, and then when I went on to Michigan State University, I was like, hey, I just learned something. Systems, systems are porous. <laughs> So when I was at when I was at MSU, whenever I ran into one of those 101 or 102 classes that I didn't want to take, I would go to the professors and I would say, "What are the things that you want me to learn in that class? If I can learn those in a week, can I come back and we can set up an independent study so that you can teach me what you'd really want me to know?" And uh, every professor said yes because every professor was shocked that somebody had actually come to school to learn. Um, huh. That was a very long way of telling the story. Huh. <laughs> and so it, it, here's my question for you. Um, mm -hmm. Is your your job and your life is, sounds to me, it's like basically trying to figure out a way around all the crap that has been put in front of you. And then 
all the crap that's in the company and you're like, okay, let's get around all of this crap or get rid of the crap. Mm-hmm. Is Well, who does the crap or serve? Like, <laughs> right? Let, let, let's find a way to compost this crap and mm-hmm. make it not come back. Um, so we'll teach people a couple of things when we work with them. The first is uh, basically we, we tell people, you know, you have zero tolerance for suckage. So when something is, is confronting you repeatedly that's stopping you from doing the best job that you could, uh-huh. don't, don't stand for that. Uh, and it's not don't stand for that like I'm, you know, I'm mad as hell and I'm not going to take it anymore. But it's figure out a way that won't freak out the system where you can slowly change the system to get to uh, a state that is more conducive to you actually finishing your work. Um, oddly enough, most of us go to work to actually finish things, and most of our processes actively stop us from finishing things. Um, one of the first things that we do with people is we say, okay, look, if you go and complain about this, you will get fired after you're ostracized. So you'll spend a little period of peri- or, or time in purgatory, and then they'll kick you out. But if you actually visualize the problem, which is basically you know, put, on, put on the wall a visualization of the steps that it takes you and your team to produce the cool thing that you're supposed to produce. And then you show how things flow really smoothly until they hit that constraint. And then that constraint not only slows down your delivery, but also makes you deliver lower quality stuff. Right. Mm -hmm. Uh, That visual system is something you can actually show to somebody and say, look, this is physically a physical representation of what's actually happening. And it's been hard for us to do because we're all knowledge workers and all the stuff that we do happens in our brains. So you have to take that thing out and make it visible. And then after that happens, then people are like, oh, I get it. And then they want to fix it because we really don't like seeing problems. We can hear about them all the time and we don't care. We'll just we'll just filter that out. But the moment that we see the problem, we're kind of forced to deal with it in a way. Interesting. So that's what I do. But uh, so when you have your PowerPoint deck, do you have a a a, a card that says uh, zero tolerance for suckage? Um, I go out of my way to not use PowerPoint. Okay. okay. Of course, uh, of that's course. the answer to that question. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> so the uh, but what I what I what we do is. Um, We'll come up and we will actually build one of our Kanbans and it will show what we're going to talk about throughout the, either the day or the hour or how much time okay, we're Okay, so you have, to, you have to break that down too. What's a Kanban? Okay, so a Kanban is what I was talking about before. It's that visualization of your work. Got it. Um, I've read your book. Uh, you, you magnificent bastard, I read your book. <laughs> but um, I... Man, no, but, but we have to assume nobody else has. Well, I, I, I shouldn't say yeah. that either. I'm sorry. I hope somebody bought your book. <laughs> I hope somebody. I have not it. read the book. <laughs> so, uh, so the first book is is called Personal Kanban, and Kanban is spelled K-A-N-B-A-N. And the idea of a Kanban comes out of Toyota. And basically, what was happening there is they were trying not to overproduce stuff. They wanted to produce just the right amount of stuff at the right time. So they came up with these plastic cards. And so if you're on an assembly line that's making drivetrains, there's, say, eight of these cards. And you, you grab a card, you start building the drivetrain, and you note the time that it went in. And then it, that card floats down the line 
with the drivetrain. And when you run out of cards, you stop working. So even if you are a willing worker that's there to just go crazy on making drivetrains, you know you need to stop making drivetrains because you'll overproduce. And in knowledge work, we don't have that luxury. So um, it's visualizing that there's things going on, and then it's limiting the amount of things that are going to be created at any given point in time. So with a Kanban, what we do is we uh, take what we're doing, we visualize it in a workflow. So the simplest would be ready, doing, and done, but they can be more complex than that. Um, and there's two rules. Visualize your work and limit what you're doing. And we're all overloaded. None of us can focus. And all of us end up creating things that we're not happy with because we were rushed to create them because of the overhead of doing too much stuff at once. So the Kanban actively says, hey, don't do that. So I, <laughs> I have adopted the, some of that in my work, and I can tell you that it does work to not to visualize it and to not put too much. So not putting too much on that to-do visual um, column is the key. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's, and it, it helps, it helps me a lot. Hmm. I, rec it, I recommend it's it. It's crazy. The, the first time that we did this, um, uh, it was because I owned a software company and my software developers would, we get together every morning and have a meeting and my software developers would say, I'm working on this. And then after a while I'd be like, you know, you've been working on that for five days. And then, so the next day they'd show up and say that they were working on something else. Because they didn't want me to say that again. <laughs> but the truth was, now they were working on both those things, and they actually hadn't completed anything. And uh, after a while, they'd left all these you know, mir millions of things incomplete. And when we went to release, we would have issues. And so we said, wouldn't it be better if we just put on a board what's actually in flight? And that changed a lot of things very quickly. So we wrote some blog posts about it and thought, you know, maybe some other software companies would like this. But the first people that adopted it were um, uh, World Bank, you know, uh, the UN, um, teachers, therapists, you know, people having nothing to do with software development realize, oh, wait, this system actually has nothing to do with software development. This has to do with how people actually work and interact with yeah. their work. Yeah. And my, one of my favorite stories about this is um, there was a, um, a woman – uh, who uh, she and her sisters had like the best dad in the world and he did everything for them. You know, there was a flood, he'd be there fixing things, you know, nuclear bomb, he's there, you know, cleaning up the radiation, everything. And so one day he is diagnosed with stage four inoperable cancer and the sisters all freak out because they're used to him solving the problems. And he's like, hey, I'd like a hug or something. And they're like, we're too busy freaking out. And uh, so one of the sisters had read one of our blog posts, and she set up a Kanban with the treatment plan in the, the column, in the, in the um, backlog column, the ready column. And what happened then was they looked at that, and they're like, whoa, that's awful. Oh, we don't want to do that, but we've got to. But it was less scary having it visualized yeah. than it was yeah. being some bunch of unknowns yeah. in their heads. So like, the work that we have on our plates that we're not visualizing actually scares the hell out of us. <laughs> yeah. And uh, it was it, – it, so that's what I, I really enjoyed about this is just seeing what other people have done, just surprising ways that they've used these ideas uh, worldwide. So we've already been going half an hour and we, we're going to – 
we don't want to keep you too long. And uh, do you have a conference or something that you're attending right now? Uh, yes, I'm at the Software Development and Evolution Conference in in, in beautiful Winnipeg. Um, just a stone's throw from the beautiful airport. <laughs> that, so okay, so bef- so but before we, I'm gonna I'm gonna turn your your bureaucratic questioning around, and I'm gonna say, if you were me, what would you ask you right now? Oh, oh my God! In uh, your face! You really want to be here for half hour? <laughs> <laughs> um. What have we uh, left unsaid, Jim? Oh, oh, and if, right, if you right. can't answer, if if you can't think of a question to ask yourself, then I uh-huh. I have a terrible, rude question that either will make you angry or will become best friends. Okay. So, so uh, I can well, I so can I can try that question. What, what I would say, okay. So the 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 question that I would probably have you ask me is the same question that I ask a lot of people when they come and they can't figure out what they want to do in their work, which is what what motivates you you know what actually gets you out of bed in the morning why 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 are you here um but we can do that after you ask me your rude question because i love rude questions okay okay because see i i took a class once um in a a teaching class and uh we people would have to get up every day and teach um in front of this class and the professor encouraged the other uh classmates to act as students and and ask rude questions because that was the way you grew by it it was basically like how to deal with hecklers and so my question to you is um you know how how is it how can you prove that your system and your consulting isn't just another full of shit piece of you know shoveling (laughs) shoveling the crap onto the pile and and why is yours better and why does this actually work so um as we started doing this and we saw things working um uh my business partners and i are kind of naturally skeptical people and we've seen a lot of people invent things that they thought worked but they were actually seeing secondary benefits uh, from other things that they were doing. So uh, there's a a group of methodologies called uh, Agile methodologies in software, and we used them for quite some time. Uh, They don't work like people think that they do, but most of the reason that they work is because when you come in and you start paying attention to what you're doing, things get better. So even if you're implementing crap, (laughs) <laughs> you're still paying more attention than you were before you were implementing the crap. Okay. It's like child uh, it's like so, child rearing in that regard then. So yeah. yeah. <laughs> and so so what uh so what we so there's a bunch of things that we noticed and then we went out and basically had other people prove to us that our our observations were correct. And there's there's a few things uh, about the way that we're approaching our work that other, uh, not everybody, but certainly that other um, people do. And one of the things is that we're, we're basically showing up saying, we're going to help you see what you're doing, and then you are going to solve your own problems. We're not coming here and saying personal Kanban is going to solve any problem that you have whatsoever or any of our other, we have other things as well. 
Um, but what they do is they say, look, right now you have a system that is invisible to you. Let's actually see for a while how that system works, where there are bottlenecks, where there are constraints, where there are breakdowns in communication, where there's frustration, where you're being forced to do work that you don't think has any value for anyone, uh, um, how you can improve. Uh, and then here's how you can improve. Here's different strategies for actually um, having small improvements. And then, you know, we'll teach people things like um, you, can, you can certainly plan on overhauling your entire company where people are like, you know, I don't like how this workflow goes, so maybe we need to reorg all of Comcast. It's like, well, that might be a very big improvement. That might be a little hard to carry out. How about you try first um, uh, moving over to that other part of the office so that you can talk to the person that you need to <laughs> interact with them? <laughs> and so, you know, we teach people how to do smaller changes that are a little less likely to freak out the company and the people around you. And then as you work through that system, or as, as you work with that, the what you call small changes um, evolve. And you can tolerate larger changes, or you can envision ways to componentize larger changes. Because um, it's like, I mean, it's it, like any any body that if it senses an invader, it will it'll like it'll work hard to cast it out, right? I mean, it will ex exactly. Yeah. And I mean, if this is if this was an all afternoon call, I have tons of those. Stories. <laughs> <laughs> well, so basically, <laughs> you hold up a mirror so that they can see the crap and yeah. and yeah. so it's you're it's painful yeah it's painful and it's cathartic uh -huh. um so i uh you know we've we've had many instances of people bursting into tears uh uh both of joy and otherwise um you know we um We've been called into many companies because people have bought the book and started using personal Kanban with their kids and realized, hey, if we actually started seeing what we're doing at work, maybe that might help. Um, yeah. And uh, it's um, uh, just really quickly uh, at the Starbucks stores kind of on the central Southern California, uh, they've started using personal Kanban throughout the stores. And the reason that they started that was because there was this horrible relationship developing between the store managers and the people working in the stores uh, where the store manager would sit back there at their desk and type and then every so often get up and say, have you guys checked the bathrooms? Have you guys restocked the straws? Have you guys mopped the floor? Have you guys checked? And there was always like, no, no, no. And the manager was always like, go do it. So the manager was kind of like this narc that would just show up and catch people not doing things. Hmm. Um, so the employees were like, well, I don't know why you can't do it because you just sit back there and surf the net and play Facebook all day. <laughs> and um, and the um, managers, of course, took issue with that. Um, now, uh -huh. And so they put, up, they put up a board saying, you know, this is – this is what my workload is as a manager today, and this is what I'm doing. And the weirdest things started to happen. Like the staff said, I didn't know you did all those things. Here, I'm not doing anything right now. I can help you with this. Uh -huh. And then so I started helping the manager out. And they put up a second board that said, you know, stock the straws, you know, clean the restrooms, do this, do that. Because the reason nobody had ever done it was because it wasn't really anybody's direct job. Right. And there really wasn't a time you needed to do it. So no one ever did it because they always just assumed somebody else would or that they assumed you'd do it when the manager came out and yelled at you about it. 
so they started using these things, and now all of a sudden, the stores get those things done much more quickly, and they start thinking about things like, you know, are they happier, right? So you go in and you want your latte, and uh, now rather than them just barely tolerating your existence, they're actually pretty happy because they're not so frustrated with their work. Uh, I don't know. I, I really liked what they did. That's a great. That's a great. Uh, great story. It does. Um, do you, have you done a lot of universities? Have you worked with any universities, or is it um, mostly software not, companies? Yeah, certainly not as many as I'd like. So we um, <laughs> we've done some work. Uh, a lot of work at the University of Washington, um, uh, both in their administrative group and at University of Washington Health Center. Um, tried to do some work with their student housing group, but that, that didn't work out, uh, in the end. Um, Hmm. but, uh, nothing. So one of the things that we did do is we went and participated in a future of a future of the university summit (laughs) that scared the hell out of me. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, it it, like still wakes me up at night. What was so frightening? What was so frightening about it? The, um, the the people from the university, people that I liked and respected from the university who were, you know, professors and, and whatnot, were trying to figure out what the new university would look like. And one of the things they said to me is, you know, business isn't asking us for philosophy majors. They're asking us for people who are trained in these three things, and that's what we should give them. And I was like, okay, first of all, you're making an incredible assumption that business actually knows what it wants and what's good for it. Right. The second thing is if you go through most companies and you look at who's sitting in the C-level suite, it's not the people who had the glorified um, technical education. It's people who have philosophy degrees. (laughs) It's all liberal arts people in the C-level suite, right? Yeah. And – and I said, you know, the reason why you're there, you know, as a land grant institution is to provide a well-rounded education. And if you start to suggest to me that getting rid of the, the humanities in any way is going to increase the uh, efficacy of the university, I just, I, I, even now, I, I can't even complete the sentence. It, it'll make it a better <laughs> vocational school. I mean, that's for sure. It'll, yeah. be a, it'll be a great vocational school, but... Maybe not a great university. Well, from your lips to God's ears, because that because we're sitting here <laughs> in the Midwest arts. at a liberal arts uh, private university, and um, yeah, we're we're up against it every day. They, you know, everybody wants an engineering degree. Um, nobody wants to take philosophy class. The people ask me. They say, you know, if we, if I want to get into lean management, what's the first book I should read? And I send them to uh, Man's Search for Meaning. <laughs> like the first book you need to read is Man's Search for Meaning. That's what's going to teach you about why we're on the planet, which is going to teach you about how we can actually create things. <laughs> Not, you know, uh, something from Sloan or, uh, you know, any of the other management wonks who are just basically trying to get a little bit more utilization out of their chunk of flesh, um, which doesn't work in either our current economy or our current uh, world of knowledge work. Okay, and knowledge now, work needs great matter. And I I hate to do this, but we're uh, we have to wrap up. Otherwise, we're going to have to break this into a two parter. And yeah, I wish we had all day. Is, actually, as good as Peter is at editing, he's he's terrible <laughs> at splicing things into two parts. 
Um, well, I want to um, thank you, Jim. I'm going to I'm going to see if I can turn on the video again so I can actually see you here. Wait, what um, if he's in the bathroom? Oh, or something? <laughs> did you just take off your clothes? Oh no. Okay. Um, as soon as uh, the camera goes off, that's the first way I go. Um, thank you, uh, thank you, sir. Uh, it's good chatting yeah. with you. It's good chatting with you. And you. and if okay, you have two books. Quickly, how do people get your books? Uh, I would just go to Amazon and search for Jim Benson. There's there's three books: Personal Combine, Why Limit Whip, and Why Plans Fail. Okay. Uh, Why Plans Fail is basically the psychology of work. Why Limit Whip is what happens when you're overloaded. Um, and then Personal Combine is just how to get control over yeah this crazy thing with life. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, and by the way, I love Kermit the Frog. Why do you say there that? There you go. Jim Benson, right? Oh. You no, created, was, he created... That was Henson. Oh, oh, sorry. I'm confused. Yeah. You are. T- um, th- that was okay. a terrible, terrible try. I apologize. But, you know... It was astute, though, because I consider Jim Henson to be my primary teacher in life. Okay, so. well, see, I knew I knew there was a connection there. That I stumbled upon. You can learn a lot from yeah. a puppeteer. Yeah. Um, Jim Henson and Paul Simon are the two people who have dragged me through my... Paul Simon, my, is that what you my, said? Yeah. 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 Uh, yeah. Okay, so we're, George, where can people find us? We are on Twitter, at True Baloney. We are on, uh, we are on Tumblr, tumblr.com slash... Or truebaloney.tumblr.com. Okay. We are, believe it or not. Right. Those are the two best places to get us. We want to hear your story no matter where you are yeah, in the world. We, we can have do the this. technology. We, can do this. we talked to somebody from Winnipeg. <laughs> beautiful, beautiful Winnipeg. Well, and, I'm from Seattle. I'm in Winnipeg. If it was last week, you would have talked to me from um, uh, Antwerp. That would wow. have been cool. That, I think they have yeah. better beer in Antwerp. They do, but they had terrible Wi Fi. Oh, well, good thing we got you here. And yeah, thanks so much for joining thanks, us, Jim. Jim. Thanks. And, All right. uh, and, and no uh, music to play Imagine us the out, music so in your head. It's in and your this head has been right True now. Baloney. Thanks to McKendra University. Thanks to Peter. Thanks to Jim. And I think we're out. Okay, I'm three, two, one. Bye bye. So long.